The nation's largest cannabis business brokerage, Green Life Business Group, gears up to be featured at the Benzinga Cannabis Capital Conference as one of the set speakers on our M&A panel. Green Life currently has over 150 exclusive cannabis businesses available on the market today, covering over 10 states. To see more of their exclusive listings, visit greenlifebusiness.com. Benzinga's Cannabis Capital Conference returns to Miami Beach on April 11th and 12th. I may be biased, but I'm telling you this event is a can't miss. Join us to build the foundation of your next game-changing deal with CEOs and decision makers from leading companies in the industry. We're talking about the next wave of businesses, strategies from the most profitable businesses, and exactly what investors are looking for in a challenging market. Go to bzcannabis.com to meet your next investor, co-founder, and new friends. A little pro tip from me, right now tickets are $1,000 cheaper than prices at the door. Get yours now. Y'all, what is up again? Thank you so much for tuning in. This is Cannabis Insider. We have another truly amazing episode of our Women's History Month series uh, for Cannabis Insider. We're not going to stop here. We're going to continue to highlight women leaders in the space, but today's episode is legit. Uh, We have Jesse Kastner, CMO of Flora Growth Corp joining us and then SVP of Ascend Wellness. Uh, I hope it's not EVP. I always get the VPs confused. Uh, Rebecca Conticora will be joining us. Super excited to chat about their earnings. Uh, We have two powerhouse players today and I'm just going to be a fly on the wall getting educated uh, and I'm super pumped about it. With that being said, Louise, thank you so much for dropping it. I know Javier Haas, I think that's what you're referring to is amazing. The dude is just chilling with the Chilean Congress today. I wonder if you can get us some guests uh, from Chile. I don't know. I'd be I'd be down. Would you guys be down? Drop a one in the chat if you want us to talk to the Chilean Congress on Benzinga's Cannabis Insider. Um, with that being said, we have a lot of news happening today, albeit earnings reports a little slow this week. News started really slow yesterday, uh, but we are seeing IIPR getting sued. Um, we can talk about that a little later, uh, but the theme of the day for me is marijuana lessening uh, the effect of opioids, right? So uh, we have a couple news items coming out. Yesterday, uh, we had uh, a study released that basically said medical marijuana, legal medical marijuana, directly affected lowering payments from opioid manufacturers to pain medicine physicians. Super cool. Super kind of a duh moment from everybody in the cannabis industry, which I've been saying for years. Uh, but this is a definitely a validating uh, headline to come out. And then on top of that, we have Texas lawmakers approved a bill on Monday to allow doctors to recommend medical marijuana to patients for chronic pain instead of opioids. So we have some cool movement uh, happening with marijuana <laughs> trying to overtake opioids. Uh, and a study saying why, um, a study saying, um, or sorry, a Texas joining us. But with that being said, y'all, I'm not going to go too much deep into the news today. There's not a lot of stocks to cover, if I'm going to be honest. We're just going to talk about MSOS and all these other stocks kind of reacting to the same thing. So we're just going to dive straight into the interviews. I'm super pumped about this. I don't want to talk too much. So with that being said, Aaron Thomas, let's bring over guest number one, Jesse Kastner, CMO of Flora Growth Corp. Jesse, what's up? How are Hi. you? I'm great, Elliot. How are you? Ah, 
chilling, hanging out with 420 Phoenix Accounting in the chat, Louise in the chat. Honestly, y'all, you don't know what's about to hit you. Jesse Kastner has been, um, you know, kind of leading the way for me for Flora Growth for a long time, but I'm not going to take her thunder. Jesse, give us a little history of, of your uh, journey through cannabis. Sure. Um, well, I, I joined uh, I joined Flora via the acquisition of Vessel, the company that I was working with previously. Um, Vessel, as many of you may know, was a is still a a premium ancillary offering. Right? We do vape pens, we do dryer kits, we do really beautiful accessories. Um, and it was actually through the founder of Vessel that I got involved in cannabis at all. And this was probably five years ago now. Um, I was, I had my own agency. I was working on go-to-market strategy for founder-led businesses um, and got kind of roped into the cannabis um, world via just some consulting. We were working with state-by-state brands and some MSOs building um, premium offerings for these, for these brands before, before, you know, capital B brand was a thing in cannabis, right? Everybody <laughs> was sort of unsure of what the future would be. Is CPG really going to play a role? Is it just THC content? You know, uh, there was a lot of those types of conversations I was having. And then fast forward to now and, you know, it, every conversation I'm in revolves around, you know, what is the future of CPG and cannabis? How are we going to really build a, a sticky brand within the industry? Um, and so it's, it's nice to be, you know, a part of Flora now where, um, you know, I get, I get to sort of take a step back and, and, we, and we get to sort of look into um, certainly the U.S. cannabis industry sort of from <laughs> a little bit from the outside um, and see how these, these brands are coming to market. And we obviously still consult and work with a lot of these MSOs and, and state-by-state brands to help them on the ancillary side. So uh, it's been a circuitous path, but it's, uh, it's been fun. Fantastic. Awesome. Can you give us a little sense of the footprint before we dive too further, too much further into the, your expertise uh, of Flora Growth? You know, where you all have operations, what you do in the U.S. and outside the U.S.? Sure. Um, so Flora is truly a, a multinational operator. We are publicly traded on NASDAQ, so we don't do anything THC touching here in the States. Um, but what we do have here in the States is, is really based around our house of brands portfolio. And that's a highly curated collection of different brands that address what I'll call the large umbrella of cannabis. Um, so that's the ancillary side of things that's CBD, it's rare cannabinoids. Um, and, and the way that we really leverage that piece of our business is not only to create a footprint here in the U S but it allows us to go to new and nascent markets and geographies, start building out a, a customer base build out distribution networks, make those retail connections, and really start creative, creating a footprint in other markets outside of the U.S. So as we see you know, different geographies open up, regulations open up around more traditional THC, we already have a presence there. And that's really when sort of the second part of our, of our footprint and our growth pillar come into play, and that's our commercial wholesale side of the business, anchored by our farm down in Bucaramanga, Colombia, absolutely beautiful it sits atop this mountain with these gorgeous views um we it's it's just such a special place but um we're growing high thc and high cbd flour there for international export um and so as we like i said see some of the regulations loosen around medical marijuana and and ultimately ideally recreational cannabis around the world we'll be able to um support those supply chains with our own uh colombian grown cannabis uh we also at the end of the year acquired a business with primary operations in Germany. They're doing medical cannabis and pharmaceutical distribution throughout the EU and 28 countries in total. So we have another sort of anchor point 
um, in Germany now, which is really helping us to complete the whole supply chain narrative and, and execution that we're really looking to achieve this year. Um, and then, of course, we have our pharmaceutical research and development arm where we're working to, just like you addressed uh, at the top with all the news that's coming out, um, medical grade, prescription grade products, purpose built um, for very specific ailments. So whether that's pain or insomnia, um, acne even. So we have a, a whole R&D lab down in Colombia that's really investing in, in that kind of research and development. So that's that's the quick and dirty of what Flora is doing a little bit of a uh, little bit of everything. Yeah, I'm not sure you could have said that any quicker, but wow, you're doing a lot. Uh, that's fantastic. So let's go back a little bit to, to brands because I agree with you. That is the the through line. I mean, we're hosting a conference, as you know, Flora Growth will be there uh, in a Wait, few what? weeks. Oh my God, everybody calm down. Uh, <laughs> a few weeks in Miami, um, but and we're gonna have a whole stage dedicated to CPG, a whole stage dedicated. Uh, to how it's going to intersect with these other industries, with alcohol, with pharma, with box chains. Uh, you know, it's going to be really, uh, really interesting conversation. But you know, let's just focus on the U.S. for now. You know, you're you're focused, I guess, more on the hemp side of life. You know, looking at how to develop brands in in hemp that I guess could one day translate in, into the marijuana high THC side. But how are you going about a marketing strategy in terms of getting? what for growth is doing in front of the consumer uh, and is a different state by state. I'm, I'm assuming you're, you're available domestically. Um, but, but how are you going about building that brand? I guess at, at a large level, it's a very broad question. So take that for what you will. Sure. So with our CPG sector, we can call it our, our house of brands, really, like I said, um, you know, each individual brand and there's about eight now, um, they all have their own, their own ethos, their own vibe, their own consumer set that we're looking to address. Um, the nice thing is, is that the way that they've been built is the majority of them are not hemmed in by state by state regulations. Obviously, there are some places we can't sell certain products or things like that. Um, but it really does give us kind of wholesale access to the, like I said, the broad based kind of cannabis consumer. Some of that is the hemp CBD consumer. But in the case of something like Vessel, uh, we actively service mm -hmm. the very traditional, you know, cannabis THC consumer. We work very closely with MSOs, supporting them on the ancillary side, helping them build product, helping them create a more holistic approach to their offering, right? It's not just about the flower. It's how you consume it. It's how you store it. It's how you travel with it. It's how you store it, um, share it. It's all of that. So the way that we look at each one of those brands and, and the way that we have built them and built our customer bases is very slowly, because as, as you all know, in cannabis, right, nothing happens fast um, when it comes to creating that customer base, right? We're, mm -hmm. we're shut off from so many traditional advertising channels as a sort of legacy marketing person, right? I'm, I'm used to having access to all sorts of different strategies and tactics. And um, we've really had to go back to um, you know, what I'll call almost like the early 2000s mode of marketing, which was very like hand-to-hand -hand combat, a lot of grassroots, a ton of community building, which ultimately I think has really um, has helped us create some real staying power in, in hyper-competitive markets inside of sort of our broader industry. And when you look at something like Just CBD, right, they've been around since 2017, sixth largest CBD company um, in the U.S., 
and they're still growing year over year in a category that everybody thinks is shrinking. They're still able to gain new market share. They're creating these sub-brands that are just hyper-focused on these very niche communities that really deliver on something unique. Um, and they're, you know, they're so far ahead of where we see kind of the mass market CBD world living today. Um, and, but that comes from spending time again on the ground, in the stores, talking to the community members, um, talking to, to, you know, people who are sort of on the leading edge of trends. We have a huge musical and artist community that's a part of the broader, you know, just brands umbrella. Very and so cool. much of what they're able to do and leverage is because they're so well connected there, right? Um, in, in the case of something like Vessel, you know, we, we purpose build each one of our individual SKUs with a very specific person in mind. You know, it's, it's the techie, it's the person who has the brand new iPhone the day that they come out. And that has, you know, that person is drawn to a very specific SKU that we've built. Um, or it's more of, you know, the laid back kind of connoisseur. And it's all about that moment when you get to sort of unveil your entire apothecary of product. Um, and, and again, it, it just goes back to a level of thoughtfulness that, um, you know, I, I think got lost for a little while as um, in what I'll call like sort of broad CPG, when everybody had access to every single person you could use, every tool at your disposal, and you could just sort of, you know, spray your message out and just kind of see what you got back and the return would be there and you didn't have to be as intentional or thoughtful. Um, and but again, in the cannabis community, we haven't had that that kind of luxury. And so we've had to be so much mm -hmm. more um, targeted. Um, but but ultimately, I, you know, I don't know that there's a an industry better suited to do community based marketing than something like the cannabis industry. Right. I mean, it's it's full of heart. It's full of incredible stories. It's full of, you know, thoughtful people. So um, I think we've definitely looked out there from a talent pool perspective, certainly creative ways to tell stories and resonate with consumers is, um, you know, I think our biggest advantage. So kind of a devil's advocate question here, which I'm excited sure. to see you tear apart, um, okay. is there's a lot of pricing issues in this industry right now, sure. right? You know, there's a lot of discussion over, you know, obviously it's good for the consumer, right? You know, they, they get cheaper cannabis, you know, these brands come down. Uh, I mean, can you talk about how a brand holds their value among that? How, how are you able to say, this is, this is really your, you know, where you want to be, but you don't want to necessarily decrease the value of your product either. I'm not a brands or marketing guy. So I'd love to hear your thought on how you tackle what's happening in states like Michigan right now. Yeah. So, you know, I will, I will speak to this more from sort of the traditional CPG, the ancillary accessory side of things, um, since we don't play in the consumer flower right. side. But I think it all kind of comes, it, it all goes together, which is there's a couple of things at play. One, consumers will pay what they're sort of told to pay. If everybody keeps talking about this downward pressure on cannabis prices and the only differentiator in, in what is offered is a THC content, I mean, you're not really giving people a reason to want to pay more. That doesn't mean anything. And for a lot of people, high THC content isn't, isn't the thing that they're looking for. So you're not giving them any other matrix or rubric to use for how they should understand your pricing. I think something else that we talk about a lot internally is premium not being a price point right? Premium being a set of promises that you deliver on every single time 
you know, unit over unit, uh, you know, interaction over interaction and building this consistency with your consumers where they can count on you. I think you see this a lot. Um, and we've been able to prove this out on the vessel side of things, right? When we came out, we were a hundred and twenty dollar stick battery effectively. I mean, it was a lot more wow. thoughtful than that, but that's mm. what we were up against. I mean, people were paying eight dollars for some, you know, at the checkout counter, and we were getting people to pay 120. Now, because of economies of scale, and, you know, much broader reach, and all sorts of really great things, we can bring that price down, but we're still commanding a really premium price point for, you know, for something that a, a novice consumer might not understand the differences of, right, we're still charging $80 for our premium battery. But again, it was because at every single touch point that that our consumers had with us, it was just better, right? It was a more thoughtful execution. The materials were more thoughtful. The construction was more thoughtful. The unboxing was more thoughtful. How you purchased, how we followed up on your purchase, the experience that people got to have with us as a brand, as a set of people who were working hard to build something that mattered to somebody else was evident in every single touch point, right? And, and you can experience that with a, you know, a vape pen, but you can do that on the flower side as well. You can do that with edibles, right? I think Kiva is a really great example of a brand here in California that's done an exceptional job of delivering time over time, really fantastic quality product with something that is special and unique that makes people feel like what they want out of their, their cannabis experiences is being heard by the brand and then delivered back to them. Um, mm. And so from that perspective, again, I'll just say, you know, pricing pressures, I think a lot of times are, are self-imposed and there is, there is um, when you don't want to do the hard work, it's easy just to engage in the race to the bottom on pricing. <sighs> Somebody put that on a t-shirt. Ooh, Jesse. <laughs> that was a, that was great. I gotta say, if there was like a sermon on marketing, I hope it's you. I I, I would go to that service. This is great. Um, I have unfortunately time for one more question here. So let me go a little bit international, somewhat comparing to the US. You look at Germany. You know, let's focus in on Germany now, uh, that you guys have a pretty significant presence there. Is your marketing <clears throat> Um, is it different? I mean, are you taking a different approach in that market? How are you having to approach that market versus how do you approach the US? Yeah, so in Germany, it'll look a lot different, right? It's the medical market. Um, you know, we're going to be importing API. So, you know, we won't be having this big, bold sort of brand experience like I'm used to building. So this is a, it's a fun <laughs> learning experience for me as well. Uh, but what we're doing is we're investing a lot of time in the upfront talking with doctors and doctor networks and prescribing pharmacists and really understanding how they're looking at cannabis, why they would or would not prescribe cannabis. And what we can do on the upfront, mostly from an education standpoint to help them feel more confident in prescribing cannabis um, as truly as a medicine, right? You know, we hear from a lot of doctors that you know, they sort of believe in it as almost like a placebo effect. If it helps people calm down, then, you know, that's great. Um, but that, you know, in, in those studies that you cited, there is, you know, there's meaningful indication that um, this really can help to offset some of the, the heavier duty, you know, traditional prescription drugs. And so our aim um, and our mission right now is really just to educate doctors as best we can on sort of the, the, the pros of cannabis and how it can be prescribed and how they should think about it as a traditional medicine and not as something, um, not, not as an afterthought. So that's really mm -hmm. what we're doing right now. It's, it's a focus on education and that'll be the name of the game going forward for the next probably 24 months for us.
Another great one-liner cannabis as a traditional medicine, not as an afterthought. Jesse Kastner, CMO of FloraGrow, thank you so much for joining us. It's truly a pleasure hearing your direction uh, for FloraGrow, Vessel, Just CBD. Uh, you do so many things. I think I forgot about Vessel at one point, but thank you for reminding me. <laughs> Flora Growth is incredible and really appreciate you spending your time with us. And uh, come here, their CEO, Luis Marchand, will be speaking about the supply chain uh, in uh, Miami in April. Super excited for that. But Jesse, thank you again. Thanks, Elliot. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in. That was NASDAQ listed FLGC Flora Growth Corp, their CMO, Jesse Kastner. We are not done yet. Do not dare leave. We have another amazing guest, Rebecca Conti Core. Let's bring her over from Ascend Wellness Holdings, OTC listed AAWH. I almost did it in one breath. Rebecca, welcome in. How are you? I'm great, Elliot. Thanks for having me. Oh, thrilled. Thank you so much for being here. I was right. SVP. Um, honestly, I'm I'm a VP. I, you're <laughs> way cooler than me. I feel like I have imposter syndrome right now. Um, but Rebecca, seriously, thank you again. Now, you all, Ascend Wellness, have joined us a few times in the past, kind of going through your updates. Uh, so super excited to catch up with you on how Ascend is looking in 2023. But you just came out with your earnings. You want to give us a little uh, kind of recap of what happened there? Sure. Happy to give you the the quick rundown. We announced our Q4 and our full year earnings just last week, uh, and we had another record quarter. So we announced record revenue and adjusted EBITDA. So we we're very proud of that. Our revenue for the full year increased 22% to $406 million. Um, fueled by our, our retail growth, particularly we opened four dispensaries in the year. We converted three dispensaries in New Jersey to adult use. Um, and also on the wholesale side, we expanded capacity in New Jersey and Massachusetts. So we were really pleased with that top line growth. Um, and that also carried through to our adjusted EBITDA as well, uh, which we grew about 17% to 93 million. So we were pleased with the results for the full year and the the progress that we've now, been making. This is one of my favorite things about Ascend Wellness. And I've said this before on this podcast, on the daily podcast, but the value that you all find in your individual dispensaries is as impressive uh, as there is in this industry. So mm -hmm. you all have 30 dispensaries 26 dispensaries not even 30 yeah not even 30 dispensaries you have 26 dispensaries and you brought in over 400 million dollars in revenue yep how do you all do that yeah, it, it is great. And it, it's one of the really impressive things about Ascend. We have the highest average revenue per dispensary um, of all of the MSOs, to our knowledge, at about $14 million. Uh, and yeah, and it's really a testament to where we site our retail locations. So we try to put our locations um, in, the, in, the best, in the best spot that you can. So for example, if you've got a cap of three in New Jersey, and you can only have, you've only got three bullets, we want the best three locations that are there. Mm -hmm. So we try to find uh, spots that are on that are right off of a highway. They have 50 parking spots. They've got really great floor plans, um, and and really really set us set ourselves up for success by selecting the the top locations. Fantastic. So, yeah, so I, I mean, how how should investors react? Right. Let's say when you guys opened up a new dispensary, you you converted three to adult use, obviously creating more access for for consumers. You you said you opened. Four new ones last four, year? Four in the year, yep. Yeah, so like if Ascend opens up a new dispensary, that to me is a pretty significant piece of news for you all. 
Do you position it as such, or do you, do you can communicate with your shareholders in any specific way when you guys open up a new dispensary because of your average revenue? Yeah, absolutely. So we disclose what our future pipeline is. So right now, uh, by the end of next year, we're expecting 39 total dispensaries in our pipeline. And we- 13 more. Wow. Yeah, so 13 more. So so quite a bit of growth. And we're pretty transparent with uh, when we expect to open those based on the best estimates that we have today. So I think for the most part, a lot of our invest- investors know when those different step functions will be in our pipeline. Uh, and when they'll come about. And then we we typically just put out a press release upon opening uh, as mm-hmm. well. Now, it's not just dispensaries, it's markets, right? Can you give us a quick rundown of, you said New Jersey, yeah. um, but what other markets are you guys winning in right now? Sure. So overall, we're in six states today. So we're in Illinois, Michigan, Ohio, Massachusetts, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania. We also have a pending acquisition in Maryland. So we're, we're in all of those states. Um, Illinois has been our bread and butter for since we started. That was the first state that we really took a big leap in. Um, but as time has gone on, we've really diversified the portfolio and the business and, and grown our other states as well. And I think that's been helpful. What's been helpful to that is each year kind of we have a different, a different state turning adult use. And it's been nice that they haven't overlapped, but we do have a new growth driver each year. So for, for example, last year, New Jersey turned adult use. This year, we expect to close on our pending transaction in Maryland. And Maryland, as you as you probably know, is, is targeted to go adult use in July. It's exciting. This year, we're hopeful for uh, Pennsylvania perhaps next year and then Ohio the year after. So each year, we've got a nice little step function of growth within the portfolio, uh, which is which is which is nice. And now it's mainly east of the eastern east of the part Rockies. of the U.S., right? <laughs> we we yeah. don't like the West Coast. They're they're terrible people over there. No, I'm kidding. What, what what's going exactly. on there? We don't like the West, but we do try to focus primarily on limited license states as well, where the, the competition is somewhat capped. Gotcha. Fantastic. So actually, you mentioned Ohio. Limited license. Say that again. No, sorry. Go ahead, please. I was just going to say, so a highly populous state that's limited license in nature, near-term adult use potential. That's typically when we like to enter. That's that's been our playbook to date. So I, I don't think it's passed yet. I think they're just in discussion. But I feel like there's a pretty active fight against leadership in Ohio right now to keep it from expanding access. If Mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken, is that is that something that you know when legislation is made like that do you guys take a different approach do you guys adjust you know i guess it's more of a question about how do you react to different state markets in terms of you know you mentioned limited license states but you know we we saw what happened in new york and i think you all rightfully kind of took a pause on that (laughs) you know do you guys keep an eye on that um you know as things happen Absolutely. I think we're not afraid to, 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 to walk away if something's not making sense. And, and New York is a perfect example of that. I mean, that deal in particular um, had, it, had its own challenges. But then outside of that, the market in general, it was no longer the same variables and assumptions that we initially thought. And I think one of the really impressive things about this team is, is we're not afraid to take the, the sunk cost and walk away if the opportunity no longer has the same uh, per, is presenting itself the same way. So, um, as as quick as we're willing to enter, I think um, we would we would react as such um, if necessary. But but we really like Ohio, so there's, oh, there's that's true. I, I mean, I'm from Kentucky. Ohio is one of the states that we're actually most excited about. There you go. That's awesome. I actually didn't realize that Ohio had such a bright future coming from Ascend. I will definitely take that into a, to account. So we have a comment in the chat. I live in Maryland. Would love to help out in any way possible. What, municip- what, what localities, what towns, what cities are you guys operating in right now in Maryland? 
Sure. It's a pending transaction. Um, so the, the, mm. the transaction that is pending has four dispensaries today, one in Aberdeen, one in Crofton, one in Elcott City and one in Laurel. Uh, so two of those are kind of operating above the state average, I would say, and two of them are operating below. And and we would hope to get in there and um, put our ascent spin on things, market, market, market our products the way that, that we like to and position the portfolio and, and the products a little bit differently and, and hope to to um, to work with work with it once we get our hands on it. Now, you mentioned the mighty word and through line of the day marketing. Um, right. So we Look, just have, I would attend that. Uh, I would attend a sermon by Jesse as well. Right. Oh my gosh. Yes. And I would attend a sermon by you on IR and, you know, <laughs> investor relations. My goodness. Um, I, I'm like, listen, I, I'm, I'm not important on this podcast. No, this um, is <laughs> Rebecca, I think, tell me a little bit about your approach when it comes to brands. I, I mean, obviously the assets for MSOs are massively important mm-hmm. in this industry and, and have to be because mm-hmm. of how laws are rolling out, how it's very state centric. But when you look at brands, how does an MSO in six states, potentially more, um, you know, in the next couple of years, look at brands and how much value do you actually place on them? Yeah, um, we, we do think brands are very important and we don't think cannabis is, you know, you should just buy it based off the THC content and, and the <laughs> price. We, we also agree that that cannabis is moving in the direction of of, of being of CPG and brands are very important and we have a good, better, best strategy. So for our core brand, for our core brands, we've got um, our Simply Herb brand, which is our more value based brand for everyday low prices. Um, customers can can you know know what they're getting, know they're getting quality products, but at more affordable prices. Then we have our Step Up, which is our Ozone brand, um, which is our what we consider our better brand. And then at the top tier, we've got our ozone reserve. So this is the highest potency and the best terpene profiles um, and the highest quality cannabis that we offer. Uh, so we have that good, better, best strategy. And then we kind of plug into that our partner brands. So we've got a really, really great portfolio of partner brands that we work with in each of our states. Um, so, for example, we've got Miss Grass, which is more of a, a female focused brand. Um, mm-hmm. And they we sell their their um, their half gram pre-rolls and actually Miss Grass combined with our ozone pre-rolls just became the number one uh, pre-rolls in New Jersey. So we're really wow. proud of that. Yeah. Congrats. Um, so that's been doing great in New Jersey. The Miss Grass has been very well received there. Um, we've also got 1906, our effects-based drops among a bunch of others. So we try to partner to plug in with uh, different brands if they help fill the spectrum for our customers, whether it's from a, a price pers- perspective or something else, like for example, the effects-based uh, uh, drops. When it comes to partnership, you know, brands, right? You know, can you give us a little sense? And I, I don't know if you can talk about finances in that regard, which mm-hmm. totally fine if you can't, but just to, so that we understand a little bit more about the actual partnership uh, mm-hmm. of, you know, taking the IP of a brand and, mm-hmm. and putting it, you know, and obviously pr- producing it, processing mm-hmm. it, you know, it, are you able to tell us, you know, kind of give us insights into how each party benefits and, and how you all work together? Sure. Yeah. And, and in each, each partnership is a little bit unique, but Mm -hmm. at its core, what we do is um, we produce the the products at one of our six cultivation facilities. So we've got 245,000 square feet of canopy spanning six different States. Um, So we would produce the products in conjunction with the the brand guidelines from some of these partners. Um, There's some sort of revenue share agreement. Um, So we, 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 we split the um, there's a a percentage that, that we get a percentage that they get. Um, and then we, we market it together I and mean, we leverage the brands, 
um, brand know-how, their their customer base, their marketing collateral, things like that. But we also do market it together. Um, sometimes we start with just selling in our retail stores, but then we always open up and sell into our entire wholesale distribution networks. So you you do pre-rolls. I, I have to ask, I mean, beverages? Is is that something you guys have done, have looked into, have have found, you know, some reception for? I, I just just out of curiosity and kind of out of the blue question for you. Yeah. Um, beverage. So we are definitely bigger on pre-rolls than we are in beverages. We have mm-hmm. launched beverages. Um, it, we, we did have them in, in Michigan and um, and they, they are an, an, an interesting segment, of course, as well. But pre-rolls are really interesting to us. Uh, what, what our exec chair will often say, Abner, is uh, 90% of, 95% of cigar, of tobacco is sold as cigarettes, um, but only 20% of cannabis is sold as pre-rolls. So a lot of, if you, if you kind of put those parallels together, theoretically, this would follow a similar path where folks are, are looking for convenience and looking for something to already be pre-made and just a package that they grab on the go um, if, if consumers have the same kind of patterns that they have with tobacco. So we do think the pre-roll segment is a really interesting opportunity. Um, and we've, we've, we've dug our heels in on that and we've really tried to double down. I love that. I don't know yeah. if I've ever had an MSO talk about a singular type of product category like that before. Yeah. Um, so thank you. That's actually really cool. Um, you know, we're kind of coming to the end of my time here, but I really want to get at least one more question in. And it's it's really about the, the industry landscape at large, mm-hmm. right? You're very, um, you know, I would say adept. You, you know what investors are thinking, <laughs> you yeah. know, the struggles yeah. uh, of raising right now and just yeah. share price and everything mm-hmm. to do with that. How are you communicating to investors uh, about the industry right now? How do you engage optimism or do you take a realistic approach? I'm just curious, you know, from your standpoint, a top 10 um, stock in this industry, a top 10 performer Mm -hmm. in U.S. cannabis, you know, how are you, you know, creating the opportunity for investors in this space or I guess, um, you know, drawing the picture in their mind? Yeah. Um, no, I think that's a great question and one that, you know, you, I think is, is different with each investor, whether or not they're a new investor, they're an old investor, they, they've got scars on their back, they don't. So it kind of all depends a little bit. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the fundamentals are hard to ignore. So the fundamentals of the base business are, 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 are really, really hard to ignore. And, and one of the things that we said on our earnings call is that we're, we're targeting being cash from operations generative by the end of the year. So I think that combined with our growth combined with, yeah, so we're, real, real, awesome. we're hopeful for that. We're targeting that. And, 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 and that'll be a really big milestone, especially since we were just founded four years ago. So to go to uh, CFFO positive wow. within four years, we're really excited about, but so with that combined with some of the other fundamentals, um, the average revenue per dispensary that we talked about earlier, we were the fastest growing in terms of adjusted EBITDA this past year. Um, I think all of those things help to um, help to ease concerns about where where we are today with capital raising. But at the same time, we do have to be honest and realistic that um, until there are some uh, some federal or other catalysts, whether it's a you know a bank taking a stance on anti money laundering laws or whatever it might be um, until there's those other catalysts we're not going to see a material step function of change in the cost of capital and the the ability to to raise funds so I think we have to be honest with the reality of where we are today absolutely but at the same time I think it's it's easy to talk about the fundamentals and to and to get excited about it I lied one more question 
when you see Chuck Schumer, Cory Booker, Mitch McConnell, any political official tweet or say something about cannabis, do you just have a hernia? Like, does it, does oh, yeah. it make you we cry? Don't <laughs> um, we don't give it, you know, too much clout. I think there are plenty of other people that can theorize about it and probably have a more informed decision than we do. Um, it, we, we're trying, we're focusing on what we can control. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the business and that's the, the day by day, that's our pipeline. And, um, and that's what, that's what we're focusing on. Absolutely. Rebecca, really, really thank you for, thank for diving you. into this today. I know it's, it's a tough time in this industry. And the fact that a sin seems to be improving their balance sheet, you know, as much as needed to be done, uh, you know, this year and, and will be competitive and continue to be a top 10 operator in the space. It's exciting. And I really appreciate you bringing that picture to us today. And hopefully H2 will be the start of a long trek forward. Somehow we'll get a catalyst that makes that happen, but I'm optimistic. What are you going to do? Thank you. Yeah. And we're <laughs> looking forward to Dan Neville, our CFO and interim co-CEO speaking with you guys um, at Benzinga uh, at, at your conference. In yes. So excited. Thank you so much. Yeah. Come meet Rebecca. Come meet uh, some C-suites of Ascend at our cannabis conference in Miami, April 11th and 12th. Rebecca, thank you again for joining us. We'll talk thank to you Thank you. The great, th- this is great that you guys did this as well. Wonderful. Of course. History month. Thank you. Of course. Talk to you soon. I mean, y'all, two amazing guests. I mean, you you have a marketing leader, you have an investor leader, uh, both operating in the U.S. space, you know, operating internationally as well. Uh, but uh, this is an exciting podcast for me. Thank you for letting me uh, be on your screen for 37 and a half minutes. Uh, appreciate you all. Make sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify. Turn that notification on. We also do Cannabis Daily. That's a three to five minute stocks to watch. Uh, podcast every morning. Uh, so please do the same for that. Like and subscribe our newsletter, benzinga.com uh, slash cannabis for all your news throughout the day. That's all the plugs I got. QR code in the corner for tickets. We will see you guys again on Thursday. Until then, y'all, be well. Peace.